there's been a lot of complaining over the past several years about the name of God in our country. And Christians and religious folks have often gotten up in arms about issues like prayer in school. Or whether or not we're going to say one nation under God in our pledge. Or should we remove in God we trust from our money. And whether or not the Ten Commandments should be displayed in a courtroom. But one of the interesting things that I've noticed as I study my Bible is that not a single one of these issues is ever discussed in the Word of God. Let's face it. God has never once remotely said anything about whether or not teachers should be allowed to lead students in prayer at school. God has never remotely said anything about whether or not the Ten Commandments should be displayed in our courtrooms. God has not ever remotely said anything about whether or not our trust in Him should be displayed on our money. And God has not ever once said anything about our nation and whether or not it should pledge itself as one nation under God. Now, don't misunderstand me. I I like all of these things, and I think these things are good, and I enjoy being a part of a country that allows these things, and I hope our country will always allow them. However, I fear that at times, Satan is deluding us. That Satan is turning us away from the real fights, by bringing up these other fights that are really nothing more than symbolism over substance. And the reality is, God is not really concerned if our teachers can lead students in prayer so much as He is concerned that we're praying. And God is not nearly so concerned with whether or not the Ten Commandments are displayed in a courtroom as he is with whether or not we are displaying God's will through our lives. And God is not nearly so concerned with whether or not the words, in God we trust, is on our money, as he is concerned with whether or not we really trust him more than we do money. And God is not nearly so concerned with what we say in our pledge as He is with how we display our allegiance to Him. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what good does it do for me to get up in arms and go to Congress and go to court and and stress that teachers need to be allowed to lead students in prayer if I have not ever once taught anyone else how to pray? And what real good is it accomplishing if we convince our courts to continue to display the Ten Commandments in their courtrooms if we have not ever once tried to talk to somebody else about living by the will of God? And what good are we accomplishing if our money continues to say, in God we trust, if we are still more worried about how we're going to live in retirement than we are in eternity? And what good have we accomplished 
If we continue to say one nation under God and yet have not ever convinced anyone to submit to God. It is far too easy to be distracted by fights that really don't matter. Because it is easier to go vote on what the pledge should say than it is to confess God in our lives. Look at Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus says this, So everyone who acknowledges or confesses Me before men I also will acknowledge or confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. We're supposed to be confessing Jesus in our lives or confessing God in our lives. We're supposed to be acknowledging to those who are around us that we're children of God, that we believe in God, that God is great. That is what God is concerned with. Frankly, I'll be honest with you. I think God could care less what's on our money. And I, I think God couldn't care less what's in our pledge. What God cares about is what's in our hearts and what's in our actions and what's on our lips. He wants us to confess Him before the world. And we have gained no great victory if we win the court battle on the pledge or the display of the Ten Commandments, we have won the victory when we, individually and as congregation, confess God through our lives. I'd like to share a few things with you about that confession today. But before we do, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we lift you up. We acknowledge you as the great God of all the universe, the one who created and the one who sustains. It's by your power that we live and move and have our very being. And we recognize that your grace is in fact sufficient for us. And we are so thankful that you sent your Son to die for us, that his love was demonstrated by his blood shed on the cross. And we're amazed that you have condescended to love us so greatly, but we are so thankful. Father, we do believe in You and we ask that You help us with our unbelief. We believe You and Your Word and we ask that You help us understand it and be able to teach it to others. Father, we pray that You strengthen us to have the courage to confess You before the world. Help our light to shine so that men may look to You and glorify You. Forgive us for the times that we have turned our light off, whether it's been momentarily or for lengthy periods. Help us not to be fooled by the devil's deceptions. And help us, Father, to avoid Satan's snares. Help us to turn away from the temptations that he offers, recognizing that they're lies. And help us display to Satan, to the world, to all, that we believe you and we walk with you hand in hand. Father, we love you. And we thank you so much for loving us. Through your Son's name we pray. Amen.
Confessing God. It's really a very simple thing. There's only three things that I want to say to you this morning about confessing God and what that means in our lives. The very first thing we need to think about is confessing God in word. Now, keep in mind that this is confessing God. This is not confessing to God. Yes, we need to confess our sins to God, but that's not what we're talking about in this lesson. What we're talking about is our confession of God. The word for confess or acknowledge there in Matthew chapter 10 is the Greek word homo logeo. Homo, same, logeo, word. Literally, same word. It means to say the same thing as. And when we're talking about spiritual matters, when we talk about confession, we mean that we're saying the same thing about that subject that God says about it. And so when I am confessing my sins to God, I'm saying the same thing about my sins that God says about them. But when I am confessing God, I am saying the same thing about God that God says about Himself. Now, no doubt, we could spend a great deal of time talking about all the things that we need to be confessing about God, but most of us have been involved in our study for the entire month, and it is the last day of our study. And I I know that some folks are saying, about time, and other folks are saying, oh, I wish it could go for another week or two. But the reality is, when it comes to talking about confessing God, what it means is all these things that we've learned about Him, being the Creator, being the Ruler, being the Redeemer, being the Judge, being our Liberator, being our Shepherd, being our Mighty Fortress, that God is so good. That's what it means, that we're saying those things about Him. We're looking into His Word, we're finding what He says about Himself, and we're saying those things. We're not making up our preconceived boxes about God. We're not, we're not just trying to fit God into what our mind can simply understand. We're looking to His Word, and we're saying exactly what He says about Himself. That's what it means to confess God. And we can confess God in Word in a couple of ways. I think we confess God in Word through praise. Psalm 29 and verse 1 says this, Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. God is worthy of praise and we are to ascribe to Him the glory that is due His name. We're supposed to see what He says about Himself and we are to ascribe, to apply, to to show that this is what God is. We are to ascribe that glory to His name. We can do that in prayer. We can do that in song. We can do that by by quoting the Scripture. In fact, tonight, I'm really excited about our final lesson in this entire series. It's, it's going to be a lesson in Scripture reading, prayer, and song. But what I've decided tonight, instead of ending with a lesson about praising God, we're just going to have an hour where together all we do is praise God. Because He's worthy. And we're going to ascribe that glory to his, due to His name by, by reading the Scriptures, by praying prayers of praise, and by singing songs of praise together. I'm really excited about that. But that's one of the ways that we confess God in word. And we see an example of it in Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 4, beginning at verse 8, it says in Revelation 4 verse 8, the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
And wherever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things and by Your will they existed and were created. What a great confession of God. But we also confess God through our teaching. Through our teaching. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34. Paul rebuked the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 34, telling them, Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Paul says it's shameful that people don't know about God. Our job is to confess God to them, to teach God to them. Just like we saw Paul in Acts chapter 17 on Mars Hill as he went through and saw all the items of their devotion and he found the one statue that said, To the unknown God. And he taught them about God. He confessed God to them. He said, I want to talk to you about this God, the one you don't know. We need to be teaching. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 10, Paul talks, or excuse me, verse 11, Paul talks about his fear of God. And he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Because I know the fear of the Lord, I will persuade others. I'll confess God, teaching them about God. And I think that another way that we confess God in word is just in our daily conversation. God needs to be a part of our conversation with other people. When folks ask us how we're doing, it's good to say that God's watching me. When folks comment on some gift that we had or some ability or something that we accomplished, it is good for us to say that was by the grace of God. Do we acknowledge God and His involvement in our lives? Do we talk about spiritual things just in conversation with other people so that they'll know, hey, I believe in God. God is real. God is great. God's taking care of me. Or are we afraid that they might get angry with us or they might reject us or worse, they'll think we're weird? You don't want to say anything to that guy. He's the one that says, God blesses me all the time. Praise the Lord. We'd hate for that to be a part of our speech because the folks might think we're odd. Now, of course, very interestingly, throughout the New Testament, we don't actually see anybody just in, just in plain old conversation. However, I do think we see this principle demonstrated in Acts 16.25. Paul and Silas are in prison. They're bound hand and foot. In Acts 16.25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas were not here trying to teach anybody. But here they were in front of other people. And God was on their lips. The praises of God, the acknowledgement of God. And of course we know how it ended. The jailer was converted because of having heard these things. But I think there's one more thing we need to think about when it comes to confession in word. And that is, we need to remember that commandment that God gave the Israelites in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. 
You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God is to be honored. God is to be revered. Holy and reverend is his name, the psalmist says. The New Testament is filled with the teaching that we should praise and honor God. If we're going to confess God in word, that means we refrain from taking God's name vainly or lightly. It's common today, whether shock or surprise or fear or anguish, to cry out, Oh my God. I'm going to tell you what, we as Christians, if we're saying, Oh my God, it had better be with reverence and honor that we are truly calling on the name of God. Otherwise, we're not confessing Him in word properly. But in addition to confessing in word, there is also a sense, even though confession is itself literally a speech thing, there is a sense also in which we confess God in deed. Confession in action. There is a sense in which the way we live at all times is declaring to the world our acknowledgement, or lack thereof, of God. Matthew chapter 5. And verse 16, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I am supposed to be living at all times in a way that declares the glory of God. I'm supposed to be living at all times and acting at all times in a way that causes folks to look at me and they see God through me. They see my acknowledgement of God and His existence and His work and His Word and His will through my life. I'm supposed to be declaring that at all times by my actions. This is what God has asked for. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. (coughs) Excuse me. Paul wrote, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything I do, from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, I'm supposed to be doing in a way that honors God. In a way that says, I am wearing the name of Jesus and I am doing only the things that He wants me to do. Because I believe it. And I want to honor Him. And I want to glorify Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31 breaks it down for us. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31 it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All the way down to the way that I eat and drink is supposed to be done so that God is glorified as I declare the glory of God by my willingness to submit to His will. I'll give you an example of this concept of the way I act, declaring God. I think about 1 Timothy. This is just one example. 1 Timothy chapter 4, <coughs> excuse me, verse 3 through 5. In this passage, Paul is talking about folks who are turning away from the will of God and and how through the insincerity of liars and their consciences are seared, it says in verse 3 that they'll forbid marriage and require absence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. God says He's given food 
And what we're supposed to do is to receive it with thanksgiving. So what do we do with that? When we're about to eat, what do we do? We offer thanks, don't we? We pray so that the food might be made holy through the Word of God and prayer. And we give thanks to God. But what do we do if we're out in public? What do we do if I'm at a restaurant? What do we do if we're at a restaurant with somebody who I know is not a believer? Will I acknowledge God? Will I confess God before them by stopping and saying a prayer, thanking God for this food that He's given to me that He says is supposed to be received with thanksgiving? Or will I kind of hide that? Our actions are supposed to declare and acknowledge and confess God to the world. And when I offer this prayer of thanksgiving wherever I am, I am confessing to the world that I believe in God. And I believe that this food I'm eating right now came from God. What a confession. And how many other examples could we come up with? We need to confess God not only in word, but we need to confess in, in deed. But finally, as we're confessing God in word and in deed, we need to confess Him in truth. Look in Isaiah chapter 48. In Isaiah chapter 48, God rebuked the Israelites. He said in Isaiah 48, this is verse 1, Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by, my, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. Not in truthfulness or righteousness, some say. Not in truth or right. They're confessing God. They're saying God. They're going through some of the motions that God would have them go through. But God says they're not doing it in truth or in right. Reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, where he quoted another passage of Isaiah. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8, where he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They've got my name in their mouths but they're not serving me. They're saying some of the right things. They're going some of the right places. They're doing some of the right deeds. But they're not honoring me because they're not doing it from the heart in truth and righteously. This is about our sincerity. This is about not being a hypocrite. It does us no good to gather here on Sundays to confess God before one another if on Monday we're living however we want. It's not enough just to sometimes confess God. It's not enough to confess God just before some people. We, we can't be hypocrites. We've got to be consistent confessors, if you will. Titus chapter 2, I believe, demonstrates this. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, look at what Paul says about what God has done for us. He says in Titus 2 verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory and of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus did not die. God did not extend his grace so that we might confess him at church on Sunday. God redeemed us so that we might live purely all the time. 
so that we might renounce all ungodliness every day. And we've got to live consistent lives. But there's another aspect of this of confessing God in truth and right. And we need to look again at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16 to understand this. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, remember it said, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. Confessing God in truth and right means allowing our words to be heard by others, our deeds to be seen by others, not so they'll see us, but so they'll see God. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, we see the other side of this. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. If we're practicing our righteousness, if we're confessing God before others so that folks will look at us and how spiritual we are, we're not confessing God in truth and right. And this is a fine line. And then we've got to take care. I know I've been around people, and I'm sure you have too, who do some of the things that I've said today. That oh, I'm blessed. Praise the Lord. They bow their heads at the restaurant, and you get the feeling from them that they're not wanting you to see God so much as they're trying to express to you, look at how wonderful I am. Don't you wish you could be as spiritual as me? And if that's what we're doing, it's just all wrong. So we've got to find that balance. We've got to make sure that as we are confessing God in our praise, through teaching, through our conversation, as we're confessing God through our deeds, we've got to make sure that it's God we're confessing and not ourselves. Got to make sure that it's His light that we're shining and not our own. We've got to wait to make sure that we're focusing people to Him and not to us. Because that's what it means to truly confess God in word, in deed, in truth. If you want to get involved in campaigns, votes, about prayer in school, about the Ten Commandments at the courthouse, about what's on our money and what's in our pledge. More power to you. That's great. I, I'm glad that you're involved in that. But, but please don't think that when you're done with that, you've accomplished the great victory that God wants. America didn't get established because God needed a nation. He already did that once, and he's moved on. God wants us to confess Him in our lives. That's the hard work. How you doing? 